Hey everyone, it's Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival, and I've got a special treat for you in this week's podcast because I jumped on the line with my good friends, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And if you've ever been to any of the survival shows, the expos, where you get a chance to meet Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, well, you know they're just a freaking blast. And they are real legends when it comes to survival medicine, collapse medicine. So um, I wanted to get on the line with them and talk to them specifically about bugging out and the different things that you would have to know as far as your own survival medical skills when it comes to this phase of a collapse. So check this out. I think you're really going to get a lot out of it. bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, would you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Protecting yourself and your loved ones when evacuating during a disaster, whether natural or the result of a complete collapse-like scenario, requires more than just bullets and beans, as they say. The need to treat injuries and disease is commonplace during times of crisis and can not only threaten your recovery, but also your life or the life of a loved one. Imagine having all the food and water you need for your evacuation and enough ammo to take on a zombie apocalypse and yet be forced to watch a family member slowly die from an illness or injury that you could have prevented or been properly prepared for. Our goal is to never let that happen to you. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson from Modern Combat and Survival Magazine with another survival podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and patriot. Now, make no mistake, being able to respond appropriately to a variety of medical emergencies you and your loved ones may face during a bug-out evacuation from a disaster is a critical component of your survival plan. And to help us better become prepared, we're joined by prepper icons Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy, welcome to the program. Hi, hi Jeff. How are you? Thanks for having us. Awesome. Hi Jeff. Yeah. I love having you guys. I love talking to you guys. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> now, listen, everybody. Uh, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy are well known in the survival industry as medical experts with an accomplished background. Dr. Bones practiced for over 25 years as a board-certified physician, and Nurse Amy, besides being a certified nurse, is also an expert on herbal remedies and essential oils. They both contribute regularly to survival shows and magazines, and you can find out more about them and their available training at their website at www.doomandbloom.net. Now, Doc and Amy, when it comes to bug-out survival medicine, what do you think is the most overlooked health concern that's likely to appear during the bug-out scenario that most survivalists just don't understand, and what can be done to prevent this? Well, you know, a lot of wilderness survivalists, and certainly people that would be in a disaster situation don't realize that even the clearest mountain stream in the middle of a national park might be contaminated with organs that cause dysentery or other diarrheal disease. You know that issues with diarrheal disease from contaminated food and water cause more deaths among Civil War soldiers than did shrapnel or bullets. And you know what? In times of trouble, that will be the case again. Now, of course, there are a lot of different ways to purify water. Of course, boiling would be an awesome way to purify water if you have the luxury of being able to build a fire while you're bugging out. For obvious, however, you might not want to be doing that, and if, or if you do, 
you'll want to be building something like a Dakota fire hole, which is a, a hole in a ventilated uh, hole that's, that's effective but less visible than what uh, a normal campfire would be. But there are a lot of quick and lightweight methods, things that you don't uh, really increase the amount of weight in your backpack. There are a lot of methods to purify water. Tablets that have chlorine or that have iodine are useful. Harry. Some people carry water bottles with filters in them. Uh, I know that Berkey has one. There's a life straw. Uh, even putting water in a clear plastic bottle and exposed sunlight for a day actually is a, a reasonable way to decrease disease-carrying organisms. I just want to mention uh, one last thing about boiling your water. Um, every bacteria and virus is eliminated once the water hits 100 degrees. Obviously, water boils at what is it, 212 degrees Fahrenheit. So by the time you see the water boiling, you've actually already purified it. So you don't need to do this for five or ten minutes. Once it reached the boiling point, you're good. Now, that doesn't mean that when you first see the first little bubble rise to the top, good boiling. That you have that you have, uh, completed your job. You want a good boiling boil. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And also, like there's, um, I know that there are survival straws on the market as well that that claim to to eliminate a lot of that bacteria as well. And that's usually pretty small and can fit into a bug out bag or even on your person when you're when you're going too. Yeah, now, exactly. And uh, the purification tablets that we have in uh, our medical kits are are tiny, and there are 50 of them uh, in uh, probably what is it? Like, a, one a one inch. A one inch bottle. It's a bottle. It's a bottle. Yeah. Yeah. Doc and Amy, survivalists always talk about food foraging and what to carry for bug out food in a crisis. But unfortunately, most people are also ignorant of the threat of foodborne illnesses that can make you very sick. Are there any items that someone can carry in their bug out bag or for their first aid kit or something that can help prevent this? Well, there are a lot of ways to deal with the possibility of coming up against uh, foodborne uh, illness or food poisoning, you know, from a food standpoint, first, don't eat anything you don't recognize as food. Uh, there's a stepwise edibility test some foragers use to see if something's edible. Of course, has the, uh, half of the, the foragers uh, tell you not to try it because it could cause food poisoning by itself. Now, all food is contaminated. Uh, a improperly cleaned uh, preparation surface. Your hands are a food preparation surface, and just like you keep your countertops clean, so should you keep your hands whenever you handle food. So I think you should always have some hand sanitizer with you. I think that's that's a, a mainstay. Everyone should be cleaning their hands often than they do. And if you just... Think about the amount of times that you clean your hands uh, in a day. Most people, especially young people, uh, are are really not very good about doing that. Now, some of the other items that I would carry uh, in this circumstance would be anti-diarrheals like Eprazole, which is otherwise known as Imodium, uh, anti-parasitics like metronidazole, also called Fishenzole in product form, other antibiotics are sometimes used in the worst cases. Now, remember, we use this as a, as a resort because 
it's important for you to remember that the main side effect of using antibiotics in this situation is diarrhea itself. Yeah. Yeah, another thing I, I think I see a lot also, and, and probably even guilty myself, is um, besides just clean, having the hands clean, but also like the survival knife that we have. You know, people prepare food with it. They might cut up a chicken or cut up some other piece of meat and stick it back in the sheath and never even clean that and pull it back out to clean something else with, too. Yeah, the surface of that knife is a food preparation surface. Yeah. And not only can you use um, soap and water to clean these, either your hand or the plates that you might be reusing, because obviously we're going not living off of paper plates. We're going to be reusing our utensils and our plates. But the knife should be cleaned in, in as hot of water as possible. Center is great with vigorous scrubbing. And you can also, when you're done, dry it off and just give it an, a, a little swiping of some alcohol. That's what those alcohol pads are is actually eliminating any residual problems. If your water wasn't hot enough to kill what's on it, the alcohol will finish it off. Yeah, good point. Okay, we've been talking with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy from net about survival medicine, and we got some more great tips coming up for you, including the medical attention that you might need during that social breakdown phase of a collapse, as well as some things that you need to really consider when it comes to traveling from point A to point B when you're bugging out. But first, check out this message. In any disaster, crisis, or attack, your life and the life of those you love could solely rest on the survival gear you've acquired. Do you have the proper gear to protect you from the threats you'll face? Whether it's preparing your home against the destruction and mayhem of a city in chaos or you're bugging out to a safer location when a natural disaster forces you from your home, the supplies you have right now could ensure your survival or seal your fate. Don't take the risk. Claim your free copy of our exclusive guide, Survival Gear Secrets, at survivalgearsecrets.com and discover the seven-phase survival gear plan every family must prepare for or face the consequences. Five no-bullshit warning signs that a collapse is headed your way, so you're already in action long before your neighbors even know what hit them. And how to know exactly when it's safer to stay at home and shelter in place. Or get in the family bug out mobile and get the hell out of Dodge. Your fellow citizens may be fine with sleeping in a crowded stadium waiting for FEMA to hand them a granola bar, juice box, and a blankie. But you know that no one can protect your family better than you can. If you're properly prepared with the right supplies and equipment to ensure your survival. Don't wait until it's too late. Find out what's missing from your survival gear plan by grabbing your free copy of Survival Gear Secrets now at www.survivalgearsecrets.com. And now, back to our show. You know, Doc and Amy, I know from being in the military that traveling long distances on foot can wreak havoc with your feet. So when it comes to traveling via LPC while bugging out, and for those of you that weren't in the military, your LPCs are your leather personnel carriers. Can you explain the most likely problems that somebody might experience with their feet when they're bugging out and what steps someone should take to protect their feet during that task? Well, how about a good news? I mean, most people look at new boots at, uh, at a shoe or outdoor store. They try them on for a minute to see if they fit. But, man, I recommend that whenever looking for a good pair 
of boots that you walk around in those shoes until you until you start getting funny looks from the salespeople. Uh, you should be spending as much time taking a look at those shoes, really evaluating how you're going to how they're going to work for you in a situation where they're going to be uh, actually put to the test. Now, if you're going to have trouble pairing a pair of shoes just walking for 5 or 10 for 15 minutes, in other words, if, if you start to notice some discomfort, regardless of how good they look, they are not for you. So that, I think, walk, take a good time walking in the store, get a good pair of shoes to begin with, and that gives you a good head start. Now, remember, the fit on some shoes varies with the type of socks and sock, sock liners I might use. Basically, you know, if you're going to get shoes for the purposes of hiking or being out in the wilderness or bugging out, you should to uh, you should expect to bring the socks, you know, have the socks on that you're going to be using when you wear those shoes. Another good point is your feet well during the day. And I recommend trying those boots on with, like Dr. Gunn said, the exact socks that you will be wearing hiking and go to the store as late as possible in the day. If you try them on in the morning, you may be surprised when you end up putting them on at night on some other, and they don't quite fit as well as you had hoped. Not quite as comfortable. Exactly. Also, uh, of course, on on the road, it's a good idea to carry sheets of moleskin or uh, what they call Spenko second skin, or anything that rep- that will present a barrier to uh, the blister. Even duct tape will do in a, in a pinch. Uh, triple antibiotic cream, honey, other uh, other items that would be uh, help be a barrier to irritated or hot spots. Those are going to be helpful uh, and tape to secure these things in place. So I uh, believe that in a bug out situation, you're going to wind up doing things or, or most people are, are going to be traveling longer, farther and faster. They have had to do it than they're accustomed to doing. And so therefore, it's important for them to at least bring some of those items yeah. and antiseptic, by the way. Yeah. yeah, Doc and Amy, one area that many people don't consider in a disaster or collapse scenario is the propensity for violence. I mean, especially like when you look at like the earliest stages where there may be rioting or looting that somebody could become a victim of. What are the three most important first aid items someone should have access to to prepare for the most probable injuries that could occur in those those early violence stages? You know that more likely we'll deal with diarrheal disease or other kinds of infections than we will with gunfights at the OK Corral, but civil unrest and trauma injuries are part and parcel of the responsibilities of every survival medic. And so the items that these should have available to them, they should have a tourniquet available, uh, I believe that the cat tourniquet, CAT, combination tourniquet, is one of the best uh, for the purpose. Soft tea also makes one that, that's pretty good. And I like it because uh, I can place it on my with one hand. And so this is, I think, a, a very useful tourniquet, and uh, everyone has to have a tourniquet available. Now, I haven't had tourniquets 
are not meant to be on for very long periods of time. After a few minutes, I can tell you that they hurt like a son of a gun, number one. And plus, remember, you're cutting off circulation to areas that may not be bleeding, too. So that's that's what's important to know about tourniquets. But it's an important fly. Now, I also like uh, hemostatic agents uh, like Quick Clot or Celox. Um, these are both natural agents. People have heard about Quick Clot uh, these days, uh, or this particular generation of it is kaolin, which is one of the main ingredients in kaopectate, and is also seen in uh, red clay. If you live in Georgia and see the word Georgia red clay, there's some kaolin in it. And um, cellox is processed from the shells of crustaceans. Now, cellox will stop bleeding in some ways even on anticoagulants, blood thinners. Hmm. But Celox, which makes it uh, superior to quick clot in that regard. Also, it forms a gel that that is much easier to, to deal with than uh, the quick clot, which sometimes forms a harder uh, material after a while that you actually have to clean out. Now, the one thing about Celox, though, is that Celox is not for people who are allergic to seafood. So that's important to know. Everything I would say is that you need to have gauze. You need to have gauze. <laughs> more gauze. Yeah, yeah, more gauze. More gauze. More gauze. More gauze. Even I can tell you that one hemorrhagic injury could easily wipe out your entire supply of gauze. It's important to have gauze and things like Israeli battle dressings, which is uh, sort of a gauze ace wrap uh, and a hinge. It has on it so that it can be uh, it can apply. Uh, compression pretty much as much or as little as you want. So I think that these things are very important and cannot have, you cannot have enough of these things. I want you to know that if you ever think that you have anything extra, they will be extraordinarily valuable barter items. Hmm. Sounds like you guys are talking from experience. Gauze, gauze, gauze. <laughs> Probably go Got through it. a ton of it. Yeah. Doc and Amy, what first aid skill, from your experience, do you think is is rarely ever learned by survivalists, but would be the most useful in a bug out survival scenario? I have to tell you that most people really know about long term wound care and management, including things like wound closure. Now, what is the goal, or even the wilderness medic? Okay, the goal for the wilderness medic is very simple. You want to stabilize the injured or the ill individual, and you want to get them to the nearest modern medical facility and and medical professionals. But what if you find yourself in a where there are no modern medical facilities or there are not going to be medical professionals? People, even survivalists, are may be able to understand that they have to hold pressure on a bleeding wound, but they don't know what to do later on. When do I do I close this wound? Do I suture it closed? Do I staple it closed? Can I glue? Can I use super glue to glue it closed? Keep it open. I mean, these are very very important decisions that can mean the life or death of the victim in question. 
Well, along so, those lines, yeah. Amy, let me let me go ahead and switch over to Amy real quick. So, Amy, how easy is it? I mean, you're a nurse, and I know you've gone through a lot of instruction for, like, sutures and things like that. How easy is it for the average person to learn how to close up a wound? It's not terribly difficult. If you have ever sewn clothes by hand. Right. The decision-making process may be difficult as to when. Exactly. That's more of the the knowledge that you're learning. It's not so much put sides of skin together. It's whether you do it or not, which most of the time you're not going to do it, or you may use a much basic method. You know, we encourage people to try and use a Band-Aid. Then you move to theory strips. Then you may try some medical glue or super glue. Um, then you may move up to staples. Right. But remember, the staples and the sutures add two additional holes on either side. Putting one knot in the skin adds two additional tunnels where bacteria can get down in the skin. So you may cause more harm by suturing someone than if you would have just let it heal naturally from the inside out. And we do talk very um, in-depth about how to care for a wound that you've left open. And I just have one last thing to say. You also want to use your staples and your suit in the last resort simply because the situations that we focus on are situations in which these items may not be being produced right. anymore. That's a good point. Yeah. Okay, great. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, thanks so much for taking some time to share your knowledge with us today. You know, this is really great information. A lot of people don't really pay as much attention to their first aid skills as they should, and and this is something that you can use without having to go through a survival scenario to actually put these to use. So I think they're like they're they're the most probably the most critical skills that you can do in preparation. So thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Again, everyone, I highly recommend you check out. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's website at www.doomandbloom.net and take a look at all the great information. They've got over 300 articles there on their site. They've got an amazing book that's coming out with a new edition coming up pretty soon um, on how to survive in tough times and survival medicine. Really, really good stuff. So go check it out. Until our next survival broadcast, train hard, stay safe, prepare now. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.